Howdy everyone, this is David Sanchez and this is episode 15 of the Riffs or Die podcast. Sorry, this one's a little bit late. This one is for Friday, January 8th, 2020. Just moved into a new place with my lady friend and it's been a bit of a hectic week, but better late than never. So here we is, here we be, here we am. On this episode, I've got a lengthy interview with the Warbringer main man, John Keevil. And stick around until the end of this one. He's got some good wisdom to share with everyone at the end of the interview. Of course, by now, everybody listening's probably heard the news about Alexi Leho, Children of Bodom's front man. Rest in peace, Alexi. We were lucky enough to tour with Children of Bodom pretty extensively across North America. So condolences to his family and his bandmates, new and former. And of course, there's the news of the Capitol building getting stormed. So we'll have plenty to talk about on the next episode. If you want to support this podcast beyond just listening to it and sharing it with your friends, you can go to riffsordie.com and pick up some merch. Or you can go to patreon.com slash riffsordie.com and subscribe and become a Patreon member. Patreon subscribers get discounts on the web store, shout-outs on the podcast. You can get your hands on handwritten lyrics, live Zoom hangouts, and bonus episodes of the podcast. Gotta give a shout-out to one new Patreon subscriber, Mr. Caleb Close. Thanks a lot for the patronage. I've known Caleb since he was a little wee lad coming out to Havoc shows when I was only a wee lad. I was a teenager, I think, when we met. Thanks, Caleb. All right, party people. Warbringer just had a new record come out called Weapons of Tomorrow, a week before V, earlier in 2020. So let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the legendary Thrashmaster vocalist himself, John Keevil from Warbringer on the Riffs or Die podcast. Sir Keevil, welcome. Hey, that was quite an introduction. Uh, right now, I'm a guy sitting in his house. <laughs> Dude, it's lovely to be on here. And, uh, you know, we both put out an album this year. It's, I, I really see you guys as, like, compatriots to what we're doing. Um doing a lot of, like, basically angry at the world, socially-minded thrash, as opposed to having fun times, you know? And uh, I'm into <laughs> that. So, basically, I, you know, it's really cool to, to be on your show, man. <laughs> yeah, our records came out a week apart. You guys came out uh, right at the end of April, right? Yeah, and, and uh, that happened also in 2017. We're following, like, the same release cycle, give or, you know, give or take a few weeks. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. I remember <laughs> you guys came out, and then ours came out a week later, and uh, I think both of us probably had touring plans that all uh, got completely obliterated this year, huh? Well, yep. We uh, heck, the, when this all started too, we we put stuff out as late as like now, and this was back in like December. We're just talking about this like a year ago, and. No, not good enough. That wasn't a safe bet. We had to cancel. Um, wouldn't want to play right now. Would feel it was irresponsible. Yes, it would be good to play shows. Yes, I'd love it. But I wouldn't want a bunch of people to like put a bunch of our fans in the room. We're trying to make more fans, not less. 
<laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> simple terms. So I, my hope is that 2021, we can get some... Uh, some more effective response, particularly in the U.S. Like one thing that's bothering me is COVID is pushing like World War II death tolls. That that's out of whack. Oh, geez, <laughs> you know. Ugh. So uh, it's just strange to see myself living through such a thing, and uh, I imagine many people feel this way. And it's just ongoing forever. Um, and I, you know, I'm like teaching in a boarding school so i don't see anyone like ever <laughs> it's kind of a bummer <laughs> so yeah you were telling me that you uh are now a, a teacher at the moment <laughs> yeah and which seems like a perfect job for you because you were going to school to become a teacher anyways right yeah i was working on it for some time it didn't happen by accident uh just it, i sort of didn't think i was going to be working as one as soon as i am uh, pretty much after the band sort of fell apart in 2013 with Empire's Collapse, I was pissed that in the whole music thing, that I sort of put as much time and energy into it as I had, and it sort of blew up in my face, and I felt at the time that I had very little to show for it. So I was like, well, shit, I guess I gotta... I tried like doing the complete opposite of what my parents said and starting a thrash metal band and doing with that, and it actually got surprisingly far. And then... Like that sort of crashed in 2013, and so I was like, I need to have some other skill that I can, like something I can actually put on a resume. And a lot of the traveling I did with Warbringer sort of intensified an interest I already had in historical stuff. Uh, not just the dates, names, places, and monuments, but the thing that really gets me into it is sort of, uh, you seen being John Malkovich? No, I've never seen that movie. I'm familiar yeah. with what it is, though. Yeah, the concept of what if you could like sort of play a video game of someone else's life inside their head. You can kind of do that in history if you put if you collect enough data about a situation, you read something, you can kind of construct the situations and sort of imagine living through them, and that shit gets really interesting. That's the thing that keeps me into it. And just the idea that like holy shit, people have done a lot of crazy stuff and they live and they fucking continued or like you know or like all these fucking people died but the ones who were there that survived they didn't just like go and off themselves they like had rest of their lives and stuff and sometimes for me i can be so goddamn nihilistic that i i like need that <laughs> you know yeah the the observation that perseverance is possible right i suppose <laughs> uh and just the sheer quantity of stuff people persevered through you know that's that's amazing so anyway I, I guess while while we're on the subject i'll talk more about how i ended up being a teacher uh so basically first and foremost i i studied history because that's what actually interests me which means i'm like reading books writing papers that stuff and i ended up teaching freaking algebra which like i was not ever particularly great at and i'm sort of <laughs> winging it as i go and remembering and just using general logic to solve math problems but i'm not actually that great at it uh i ended up also teaching at a private jewish school which i'm i'm not jewish i'm like an atheist agnostic uh so life just took a weird turn man i was advertising as a private tutor because covid and then i got that and so now i like straight up have a class i have students i have to get them to pass the ged even if they have like you know, if they have like really bad ADD behavior and want to talk to me about like cigarettes or politics all day or whatever, <laughs> it's it's kind of funny. 
All right, uh, do you have students that are trying to talk your ear off about cigarettes? Yeah, well, I didn't. I didn't mention that without reason. Yeah, there's there's one who just every day is uh, wants to talk about cigarettes, and you know, I okay. Um, but it's sort of funny, man. It's a really weird position to be in. It's obviously really different from being on a stage. Some of them are now starting to get wind that I play in a band, which they think is cool. But none of them like know heavy metal or think that heavy metal is cool. Because, like, it's just, I don't know, I guess it's too far removed from their generation, you know? So. Well, who's, like, a famous metal rock dude that's Jewish? Ah, there's got to be some. I don't know. Specific. I mean, usually I didn't go up and, like, ask every famous metal rock dude if they're Jewish or not, I guess, and, and are observant, <laughs> you know? I don't know any of them. This is, like, an Orthodox Jewish school, so it's, like, it's a really different environment from a rock show. But yeah. it's cool. It's kind of good to know that I'm able to do well there and stuff with a much more, like, conservative religious community than what I'm from, of course. But uh, it, it's, like, there's some really good folks there. It's all boys. It's, like... Uh, and I'm straight up like just teaching GED, math, English. Because most of the time, these students, they're studying to be rabbis. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, straight up. Uh, they all like know Hebrew and a bunch of stuff I don't. So I've, so I've learned quite a bit about Judaism that I didn't know before. It's very interesting. And uh, it's really been a wonderful experience. And apparently, I'm well-liked. I'm a good teacher, I guess. And like they all think it's very surprising that I do metal. They think that's what you, the math teacher, you do this. You know, I'm like, yeah, dude. <laughs> One kid was asking about drums. Like I, I had a student who was asking about drums today and I showed him like Carlos Cruz playthrough, through and, and, and he's like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Carlos is a beast. Yeah. Oh, I could have just as easily shown him a Pete Weber one or whatever, or Gene Hoblin or whatever. Just any like sick metal drummer ripping it up is impressive if you're starting out at drums. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what got us here, man. We we were like, oh shit, <laughs> at some point, you know? Yeah, just kids watching videos of bands performing live and thinking, oh man, someday that would be the coolest thing ever to do. And both of us have done that stuff. We've played a bunch of really cool festivals and traveled all around the world. And, uh, yeah, I mean, do you think it's ever going to come back the way it used to be? Ever? Yeah. You can't have an indefinite pandemic. That's never, there's no, I mean, unless we have something totally unprecedented. Well, I mean, what we're living in right now is already unprecedented and, a lot of things that people thought could never happen have happened. Of course, of course. Uh, I mean, not. Re- I mean, it's not the worst pandemic ever. It's just the first major one in our lifetime. So it's totally new for us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a third of Europe died in the like 1300s. Yeah. So, so I think a little different here. A lot of times, people think like you know that I tend to think of like recent as starting around like 1815 so i just i just tend to think because that's like actually the part i'm interested in really is the how the fuck did we end up with like industrial cities everywhere and the modern order that's the part i really focus in on but like holy cow uh i ought people people often forget how short-lived people are and that like not uh, like as even though we're in the most the most rapid period of change in the history of everything, as far as can be told, uh, that still, like, a lot of stuff kind of stays the same, stuff lingers, uh, you still have people from a different world that are alive today that are influencing politics and all that shit, you know? <laughs> um, 
for many would say worse, some would say better, whatever, you know, uh, I can't, speak the, but like, basically it's, uh, it's just straight like time, dude, <laughs> at the end of the day, time is weird is my point, I suppose. And it plays with our perceptions in a lot of ways. And it's really tough for us to tell kind of everything feels new and unprecedented to us in a lot of ways. Cause we're only living a single life experience. Right. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, timing is very interesting as well. You know, like you've got a good, solid job right now. And um, I know for a lot of people, this last year wasn't the worst thing ever. Some people had a good year, but uh, I can completely understand uh, both sides of that coin for people that had a great year and people that had a totally terrible year. I think a lot of life is what you make of it. I think gratitude equates to happiness the more grateful you are for the things you have, the happier you're going to be in the end. Oh man, yeah. It, heck, that line of thinking you took there—you could even you could even go all Mother Teresa with it and say that uh, the suffering of the poor actually like is increases ha- their happiness and glorifies God and all that shit. Um, <laughs> no, straight up, she thought that she went like a, lo- a step further with what you just said there, yeah. you know, or, or two or three even. <laughs> yeah, religious people but take think, things think, uh, many steps further than. <laughs> <laughs> where I would leave it. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, it's funny to think. I, I Actually, my, my stepdad threw it at me in a good way once. He said, the source of all... Unha- I don't think he's the one who came this up, but I, I think of it as his quote. Uh, the source of all unhappiness is unmet expectations. Right. So, it's like, honestly, some straight-up Taoism shit to kind of like learn to manage your expectations. Sure. And William Shakespeare said, expectation is the root of all heartache. Damn right. Yeah. Jeez, the Shakespeare guy is pretty good. Someone should give him a TV show. Yeah. I mean, what's so weird about uh, Willie Shakes is... Willie um, Shakes! <laughs> What's so weird about Willie Shakes is it's all written in English and apparently very proper English, but it's so English, like Ouroboros style up its own ass that it's hard to understand for us people that speak English. I know, even me, dude. I, I'm like, I consider myself pretty good at English. I just, dude, I just got, uh, I just got a big stack of books and complete shakes, uh, complete Willie shakes is one of them, dude. I got chocolate, strawberry and vanilla and even like Oreo cookie crisp or crunch, whatever, you know, uh, all the, all the shakes that Willie can make, you know, they call them the, oh man, the, the Neapolitan, we'll call that one, the Romeo and Juliet. We'll call the Rocky road, a midsummer night's dream on and on, you know, like there's enough to, to keep going with this. I'll, I'll spare you. Uh, but yeah, it, that's something I got to chew through. I have such a list of stuff to chew through. That's been my kind of goal this year is to uh, basically acquire what knowledge I can, try to come up with some new songs. But even there hasn't been a lot of time for that because we can't like, we haven't met in the jam room for a minute. Chase Becker moved to Washington. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was having a tough time down here. The The virus bit hard. He was a guy who relied on touring a lot. And guess what wasn't happening? Uh, so he moved up to Washington. Unfortunately, it seems like things are going well for him up there, but yeah, now we got to deal with that as a, and operate like that as a band, uh, which in the modern day doesn't seem so weird and crazy. But if you were to ask me when I was starting, holy cow, I'd be like, 
what? You're in a different state? How are we supposed to jam, dude? <laughs> you know? Yeah, same way for, for me in the beginning. And now, um, you know, for the winter, I'm in Hawaii. I'll, I'll go back sometime this year. But uh, at the moment, literally all four of the guys in Havoc are all in different states. Well, man, you guys are globetrotting internationals now. It's pretty sick. <laughs> well, we're all, yeah. in the, we're all in the same nation, but we're all in different states. I mean, yeah, dude, you're, you're all in the different, uh, different states of planet America, dude. That's right. We're at, literally all in, dif- <laughs> we're in different time zones, each one of us. It's, it's crazy. We, we couldn't jam uh, easily if we wanted to, um, much like you're talking about with Chase. But in the early days, it's like unthinkable. No, because you couldn't even do it. Last couple records have been a little more like pre-orchestrated on our end, mm-hmm. which I thought I was going to hate, and I ended up liking. Yeah, <laughs> having, having the- pre-production uh, well thought out in advance before you hit record is great, especially as a vocalist, because you can Shit. like listen back and hear things uh, and process them. You have time to like digest the music and make sure that where your vocals are going to be is uh, the best move instead of like, Hey, we just finished this song, listen to it and just go with your gut. First thing you come up with is what it's going to be forever. Go. Oh, Lord knows that's happened sometimes (laughs) before. Maybe a few. Yeah. 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 For sure. It's nice to have that time to digest it because it's a luxury that you don't usually get. So yeah, pre pro is great. It it can uh, yield some really cool juice. For me, it's a little different sometimes just because, well, we've never gone in without like songs written, but we've always done it straight up by like all five dudes are going to get down in the room and hash it out, thrash it out and bash it out until we got a song. And so we'd give every riff names and I would like usually be like the scribe of song structure so we could remember what the variant of it we were doing that we actually liked was, you know, and get it codified somehow. And we have like a shitty jam room, one mic recording. You know, we were ghetto as hell for the longest time. <laughs> like, I think we only started really getting really like pro with our operation kind of recently, like post 2015 kind of era. And uh, I sort of like that about us. Like, we have done it long enough in the totally shitty uh, punk rock way, you might say, sure. that we have no problem doing it. Right. So. Everything so else that, is just extra icing. Yeah, so like we've been doing, you know, on like Woe to the Vanquished and Weapons, if we ever get to play it live, uh, there's like, you know, it's more structured. There's like parts we wanted to have like the the shell the shell blast noise and shell fire and, shell, and like the keys on guns or whatever. And so we were doing to a click track so we can have that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then on show, like there was a couple shows where like for whatever reason that shit isn't working and we're just like fuck it no problem show goes forward yeah of course not even an issue and I'm so glad because I can just think of so many bands I've seen where like it would just be the end <laughs> you I, know? I've, I've seen that before on stage where uh, the computer wasn't working and they couldn't play their show because the backing tracks were so heavily relied on for their sound that they couldn't do a show without the computers. And it was really, uh, it was hard to watch, you know, a rock band that's got a drummer, a bass player, a keyboard player, and two guitar players and a singer say like, Hey, we can't play a song without those computers. That's brutal, man. Yeah. Super rough. (laughs) 
Man, I mean, dude, as far as I know, though, I would have drive a way better car and live in a better, a better neighborhood and all that if I uh, had mastered the skill of pressing play and throwing my hands in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wouldn't we like, all? I mean, I just wish I had that kind of skill, you know. But it, it, I was thinking, actually, when we were talking about pre-pro and songwriting, a thought that crossed my mind, Dave, is uh, I probably approach it like because you're going to start with the guitar because you actually can play guitar. For me, I have music in my mind, but my body's like terrible at it, except for the yelling part. Uh, like my hands and feet are fucking bad. OK, yeah, I, w- I wanted to ask you about that. Do you ever write any guitar stuff or bass stuff or drum or anything? Yeah. I do. Um, actually, pretty substantially on this last record. Oh, uh, cool. The, a lot of the, like the whole main verse chorus section of Firepower Kills, I more or less like hummed out to Carlos. It's not without inven- invention on his end, of course. But uh, it's like, it, first off, it's amazing that I got dudes in my band that are like willing to do that with me. Because basically what that means is that these talented musicians are like, oh, this guy this fucking dude here is like Beavis and Buttheading out the riff to me, you know, I do that. I do that. Yeah. It's the only way I can. Yeah. I, I'll usually compare to something else for like the tonality. Okay. I'll be like, Oh, give or take something like this riff. And it goes like this. And then I'll like lay down a scratch vocal to it. And then, like Carlos Rothers, that was Firepower Kills and Glorious End. I wrote the lyric first and the song was written around it. Ah, wow. Yeah, that's a a rare thing, I think. Yeah, well, I think that that song couldn't have really worked any uh, the way it is any other way. You know, it kind of is what makes it uh, special. It's got the whole, like, uh, narrative component and stuff. So... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the lyrics in that song are much different than any other song on the record. I was trying to do... Uh, kind of like there's a but all, all the like tragic soldier poets from world war one I. I love those guys they're such bummers to read i love it um <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's why people don't read them because there's just an unrelenting bummer that and then like you chapter four an even bigger bummer than chapters one through three which had already crushed your soul <laughs> yeah war is hell well, especially though the World War One era writing oh is really br- just because every everyone's been writing stuff for a lot of time. But like you know, for instance, the Second World War, the American Civil War, there, there's like some end at the end of it where, and then evil was vanquished and human rights went up a notch or something. Mm-hmm. World War One was straight up, and and here's why they don't teach you about it. Every power was basically like really greedy capitalists who wanted to carve up as much of the earth as they could. Eventually, there. So, in 1815, they pretty much agreed to stay off each stay off each other's turf for the most part, and you had a century of relative peace between the great powers while they colonized the rest of the world. By World War One, they no longer have rest of the world to colonize, so now they're going to fight themselves, and it just takes a breaking point. Uh, which actual conspiracy theory? The Archduke getting shot. Uh, you know, that's actually a conspiracy. Um, and there you go. Yeah, but there a was lot a couple of assassinations. A lot of assassinations of important people. Uh, people planned that behind closed doors, and that is called a conspiracy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yep. So, so uh, well, because a lot of the time people look for a conspiracy, I think, because it's easier to explain a bunch of complex shit by sort of an overarching narrative uh, 
than it is to kind of like pick it apart in all its complexity. And I think that's kind of the appeal of it is it gives a sort of simple, uh, like a sort of a simple truth in a way. And the thing, the trick is telling which ones are false and true. Like here's another one that's more current. That's true. Jeffrey Epstein. That's got, you know, the, the prison thing didn't kill himself. Like, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's probably true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. As far as I can tell, I see no reason to disbelieve that. I, I think the, the suicide thing's a little flimsy. And from what I know about power, if you're like a mega billionaire, you've probably like at a certain point, you've done enough like coke and fucking paid models nights to where now your desires uh, that just don't float your boat anymore. And now you need something weirder and more depraved. Yeah, you it's know, not, not far fetched. I mean, it's alleged that Epstein got all of his money basically from blackmailing people. Right. Well, oh, it's just itself is a kind of power which keeps them in the circle, you know? Oh, man, it's nasty. Yeah. Uh, I think back to, like, Roman emperors and shit, like Tiberius, who is this private island, allegedly, with little boys and stuff, you know? It's like, you're the emperor of the fucking known world, and that's that's how you choose to use your power. That tells you something about power, I think. <laughs> yeah, the only Roman emperor that I can think of that I know, uh, at least from what I know about him was noble is Marcus Aurelius. And I talk about Marcus Aurelius a lot because I'm way into stoicism. And of course his book meditations is one of the super important books for stoicism. Absolutely, man. Uh, uh, I, I've read that on tour once, actually. <laughs> it was like, uh, and I think that is a lot to stoicism as kind of an, a personal ideal. I think the modern world sort of lacks a bit of stoicism and could use it, you know, yeah, for you know, sure. Get, get, get some steel in those veins. Like, look, you know, as much as I am kind of, uh, I, I would identify myself as on the left politically. I'm, my main concerns are humanitarian and, you know, about world rel greater levels of world equality than we have and all that, because I think it would be healthier for humanity. Uh, <laughs> but, man, I, uh, I often find that people of that persuasion, like, Sometimes there's a lack of sort of this understanding. Dude, the world's fucked. You ever seen a nature documentary? Humans are the same, and all of human civilization is the same. Nations are that, you know, lion chomping on the gazelle because they can, you know, and, and they will benefit. And that's the harsh reality of human existence that makes, even as far as we've got, as much as I can criticize the social condition of today, it's like astounding that we've even made it this far. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is mind-blowing. There's so many things to be thankful for and appreciate, and there's obviously plenty of things to be upset by and critical of, but uh, the, which one you think about more often and which one uh, you choose to look at is the one that you're going to base your happiness or agony on. You know, I think you're damn right, Dave. <laughs> Uh, I've been working on that. That's kind of been a big uh, problem for me is I'm such a cynic and blowhard and all that shit. And I can get so 
down in a hole on myself. I get in this like mental downward tornado. Uh, I've, you know, I've struggled with depression a lot when on the surface to a lot of people I run into, my life looks pretty good. I get to go around, play some heavy metal and, uh, and just pursue some other passions. And materially compared to most people that have ever lived, like, fuck, I could have been a peasant in the middle ages, you know? <laughs> yeah, Shit. we're very lucky uh, to live when, when and where we do. Well, and then I could say a lot about how there's uh, – I feel like the future is in serious danger right now, so I don't want to get too complacent there. So how do I reconcile that, my basic belief that something's really, really wrong with uh, my own personal happiness? And that's actually kind of been my, my little spirit quest the last few months is how I can sort of know the stuff I know and think what I think and – not be miserable. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I, I know and can relate to a lot of what you're saying there. And I often tell people that I'm really glad that I have the outlet of physically screaming this shit out of my body on stage. And we're both very lucky that we have the outlet. Obviously, doing it live has been taken away for the year. But, you know, in our lifetime, we've had the outlet of literally screaming all of the uh, anxiety and rage out of our body, which is a beautiful thing. How many people that work a regular job in a cubicle at, uh, in the service industry as a, you know, a stalker or an attendant of some kind, how many right. of those people get to go to work and fucking scream at the top of their lungs for an hour? Oh, yeah. Hey, they got to screen exactly whatever the hell they feel because they wrote it down because they chose to, right? right. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And then other it's people, good, good you know, yeah, and then other people are like, yeah, you did that and you get validation too. It's, it feels like being a performer, at least when you're on a successful night, feels great. Yeah. And so it's true. I got to be thankful for all this. Even if I don't have it, I've had it. And that's great. And my records are out there, and that's great. And so I've been, I've been really working on kind of uh, differentiating my individual experience and how that can be good with sort of, you know, how I fear the end of the environment and that kind of shit, you know? For sure, yeah. And I completely agree with you and understand where you're coming from, where, you know, you try to balance how you can be happy even though you look out the window um, so to speak, and you can see that there are so many things that are fucked up in this world. I'm right there with you. I see a lot of things that could get much better. At the end of the day, I have to remember, like, I can only do what I can do. I, I'm not sure how much power I'm going to have over this global, super powerful, worldwide system that has so many people asleep and tuned out of what I'm paying attention to. I have to recognize that I'm only one person and need to be happy myself. So I got to like let go of some of that stuff. Otherwise, I'd be a miserable fuck. Right. And uh, also, actually, with uh, a power to affect change, my wife has a really good quote that, that cuts a lot of different ways when you look into it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think she made She heard this somewhere, and I don't know where, but it's uh, no one raindrop believes that it is to blame for the flood. Sure. And so, yeah, and that's kind of like, so I, I've been asking myself, how can I like actually make a difference? And basically, that's the whole teaching thing. That's why I got into that is because I'm like, well, I think there's a problem because we got a voting system and a lot of people don't understand the issues they're voting on. 
if they understood a bit about like what's a government, what's what's a civilization, what's a great power, all that shit, then uh, they might understand a little more on what, who and what they're actually voting for and why, be a bit more literate in the discourse, be a little less vulnerable to overt propaganda stuff that's everywhere because, hey, we got a 24-hour news cycle that has to keep its own viewership. Can't see how that would be a problem. Uh, you know, you wrote about that. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, given credits where it did, you did. You, you recognized the problem in society and you wrote about it. Good job. Fuck yeah, that's, there, there you go. I think, I think both of us do that. Um, I think both of us have lyrics that are very relevant to what's go- gone on in the last year, especially, but also just what's going on in our civilization and has been for decades and centuries. There, there's uh, acute criticism of specific things that I can think of in both of our lyrics that I think are very relevant. And um, I think when people listen to them and read the lyrics in, in the booklet, the liner notes and stuff, I think it does make an impact. We, we have, in a way, like, you know, uh, an influence on people's thoughts and will have a lifelong impact on the way certain people think. We, you and I have probably written songs that have cracked somebody's mind open in a new way that it's never going to go back. I mean, we we can hope, certainly, and people have uh, expressed that enjoyment and all that. I'm really happy that we have the chance. I was actually going to comment a bit on, because uh, I noticed, like, uh, okay, here is a fun one. Actually, on a V slash, V or 5, what's the correct... Is there one or the other that you say, by the way? It's a choice of whoever wants to say it, but I say V. Okay, V. All right, so uh, Havoc V has track three, Betrayed by Technology, which is the same theme as our track three, written in a... And I was going to say, what's interested to me here is not that we wrote about the same theme. I think we're living in the same world, and that that's kind of uh, just like, hey, we're both paying attention. Uh, but <laughs> on the other... Yeah, right? Like, hey, there, there's... Here's the issues. One of them is... Uh, Technology has done some really bad things to the social fabric. Uh, and yeah, that's totally what thrash and angry metal should be writing about today, I think. Absolutely. That's artistically relevant. Um, but what I thought was interesting was basically that, like, I think the methodology and how we talk about it, that just that one right there kind of like puts it in a nutshell because you put it like betrayed by technology it's like straight like this is what's happening it's really clear and i do this kind of like like if you read it it sounds like i'm talking about a tank but then it's not it's like the tracks are a metaphor for progress sure and i was thinking about that i'm like you know that sort of is uh because i'm always doing like oh let me talk about uh, the modern condition here. Let's go back to ancient Rome or World War One or or something. Or and I kind of got that or a very like allegorical kind of way. And you're very like uh, you've done some which I think like post truth era is like a fantastic title where it's like this is what the fuck's going on. Very like uh, very like straight in in your face. Like here's exactly what's happening. And I'm just like that's really interesting because basically, you know, looking at myself outside myself, if as much as I can, we're two guys sort of picking at the same thing with different like brains and methodologies about it. But sort of the stuff we're talking about is almost damn identical in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. And your uh, third song on your new record, "Crushed Beneath the Tracks," is probably my favorite song on the record. I really love the lyrics and I really love the music. 
And uh, fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, that was a, it's that was super a, cruise, sick. a cruise number. That was straight up. Cruise wrote the riffs, and I I put the lyric. Uh, so that was a straightforward one. Uh, it was really easy to write. <laughs> but yeah, going well, for going for like human red. dissection vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can hear that. Yep. And uh, you know, you're talking about like havoc lyrics being pretty on the nose. I honestly do that kind of on purpose just because I don't want there to be any mistake about what I'm talking about. I feel like, uh, you know, we live in this era where things, messages can get out to people very quickly. And, uh, I feel like you can make a better point in a three minute song than in a three hour debate or something. Often, often the impact's much greater emotionally, and that matters. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you can hammer home a point in three minutes better than you can in three hours of a conversation with someone. And uh, I don't know. I just like to to get it out there very straightforward because I feel like our time is running out for us to to wrap <laughs> our head around these things. So I want to get straight to it because time is precious and. Uh, you know, like you said, we're, we underestimate how short-lived a human life is. Time is of the essence. So I guess that's why I'm kind of cut and dry with lyrics and Havoc songs is I, I feel like I don't want to waste any time. Like, I need to get this thought out of my head and into somebody's ears. Well, dude, I was going to say, actually, like, because uh, some of the stuff, too, like, I don't know if I could get an idea like panpsychism across in some, like, allegorical method, which is, I, I tend to favor, some, some of which I'm not, like, remain violence on the nose, you know, so, so I'll, uh, it's, but I tend to go for a more, like, it's just a different mode, and I, was, I thought it was interesting, and, and you sort of answered my implied question, which is, is that a conscious choice? And I think that that's pretty much the reason what would think and uh fucking cool <laughs> you know you got a theory behind your music and a philosophy guiding it and that makes it uh for me that makes it more interesting like i always love to analyze what was this artist's goal with what the fuck they were trying to do here uh like sometimes great shit just falls out of the sky or like we were just jamming and this awesome thing happened but then a lot of other stuff a lot of stuff that's like really written and put together too which is more what i'm looking at for what we're doing like has a really interesting story and sometimes people are doing like pretentious artsy shit trying to like get a serious idea that they know about across and i I fucking love it a lot of times so i've gotten more of that in and that's very different from where i was when i started in this genre i used to think i was just yelling into a microphone because of general angst and then kind of the older i got i'm like Oh shit! The general angst I felt was like a, a near universal response to a social condition I was in. Fuck. Yeah, I think uh, the things that both of us sing about in certain songs are, you know, relatable to ninety percent of the population, at least in this country. Dude, I think in uh, the modern world, uh, there's one there's one thing I read that's pretty heavy on the social theory but okay i said i would talk about this it's it's the time to bring up capitalist realism it's this so, uh, social theory books really cynical it's a super bummer uh by mark fisher this guy who's killed himself apparently is so that's how bummer it is but anyway uh what the, what it said it starts out with this it says consider the case of kurt cobain 
Kurt Cobain was a guy who basically in his music captured a sort of nihilistic angst of the generation that was like coming of age in the early 90s, who pretty much the first generation who grew up under what we'd call neoliberal capitalism, which starts October 6, 1979, apparently, (laughs) as this book claims. Mm -hmm. So Kurt Cobain writes records that express this conditional angst he's anti-consumerist anti-commercial he doesn't he wants his art to be artistic and for its own human value rather than a dollar value and because many other people are experiencing this condition this reson you know and because he's got musical talent distinct voice all the stuff nirvana has uh then it becomes really successful so he becomes the thing he was raging against a few years later, the guy's dead, okay? And a lot of people can say a lot of things about it, but what I said is true, okay? So, therefore, it's kind of like the system he was fighting against fucking ate the guy, and now that he's dead, he's the voice of a generation go buy his records and shirts for where, you know, we can market the alienation that you feel because everything's marketed to you. We can market that to you, too. That's where it ends up. Oh my god, that fucked me up when I figured when I kind of put that together. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's like the Borg, man, and, and it hits me personally because I'm anti-consumerist. I'm anti-commercial. I don't want my art to exist as a consumer product, but it does. I have to suck on that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, all of us kind of do. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, we've signed up with record labels that they're in the business of selling albums. They want people to be buying stuff. Um, it's not just that we can go out and perform our music for people that want to see some live music that night. You know, we're, that's not, uh, that's not what we do. Unfortunately, more or less, you and I are glorified t-shirt salesmen. We go up Ugh. there and sing the jingle for you to buy the t-shirt. <laughs> I know that's the business model. And that like, you got to sustain. That stuff bothers I mean, me, man. Yeah, absolutely. I totally understand that. At the end of the day, though, we have to be able to put some money in our pocket. Otherwise, we can't of go course. and do it. Of course. What you are know? we? Some fucking aristocracy that's just sitting around with like lands and titles <laughs> to sit on and do whatever we want? Come on. Yeah, we're just you laying know? back on a on a sofa and being hedonistic at all times and buying whatever I mean, we want it, on Amazon.com. Right. If you're a land, if you're a landlord and you, you have a lot of land, that's I mean, geez, man, you know, you, you're doing well in, in a system based on land ownership, such as the Middle Age. And here we're, we're not totally there, but man, I'm finding right now as a 34 year old married man, like what a hurdle it is to buy a house, man. At anything like I might actually make it. Oh man! So I've been riding the rent train. I've been doing all that, and it's like sometimes I think to myself, I'm like. I remember I just moved out of a granny flat that was like tiny as fuck that I was being overcharged for. I'm in a decent condo now. It's way better. Mm-hmm. But I was living in this tiny ass place squashed in there with one room, you know, for my wife and I to have no escape from each other. And uh, I'm sitting there going, what? I remember I actually took acid when the weapons tomorrow came out. And I was sitting there and I'm like, I was having kind of first this high of like, man, I've made all this art and my life's been so cool. I've seen all these things. Yeah. You know? And then I kind of went, I was like, you know, I was looking at it. I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm one of the, I'm one of the most successful people in my field of my entire generation. And I can like, you know, and I'm like paying rent, you know, I can barely do better than paying rent on this granny flat. 
And then I was like, oof, that's like the material result of all my art is diddly squat. <laughs> I mean, it's this way with a lot of artists. Yeah. Even you go back to like Beethoven and Mozart and stuff, like they weren't super loaded. And look nope. at how their legacy has been carried on. I know. I, and I, I, that's what I, so don't worry. I don't need a pep talk. I'm all right, David. But bro, it's like that. <laughs> no, I'm not just, trying to give a pep talk. It's just the sad reality of artists in general. It's, it's, know, very, man. it's very, very, very rare for an artist to be monetarily super set. Well, and if you are, it's usually because you weren't, I feel like you were aiming on the monetary success and they've actually figured out like, oh, you repeat the chorus four times instead of three in pop songs and you'll sell more. And you have to modulate that, that last chorus. That's a double. You have to modulate up a whole step on the very last chorus. Yeah. I mean, shit. (laughs) And, uh, you know, everything i i mean dude it's it's i feel uh i feel like i'm living in a weird dystopian hell that like i dreamed up when i was a kid or something oh, like, we, oh we, no. we march closer and closer to like 1984 orwell's nightmare every week it, it's completely wild um it, it's really you know it, it's in one way it's terrifying and in one way it's just entertaining to sit back and watch how crazy <laughs> shit is getting it's funny that it can like be a knowable thing, and yet it happens anyway. That's the part that baffles me. Uh, I, I read something interesting. It was the thought that maybe because you know, there, so I have a ton of respect for Orwell, uh, great author, a great man. Um, there's another guy though related to him, Huck, uh, who was actually his professor for a minute, Huxley, Brave New World. And I was kind of thinking that maybe the work. Because the Orwellian world is so fucking frightening, you know? The one he describes in 84, that's like, it's, it's terrifying, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the idea of, uh, dude, you were, oh, by the way, props for this. I, I don't, um, you, you using the Orwell exit speech as your intro for a tour, you know, the boot stamping on the human face yeah, forever. Yeah. That, that's fucking sick. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's thrash. That's like good thrash social messaging stuff that's the thrash as fuck as far as i'm concerned um, <laughs> Thanks. yeah that's fucking great you got it before i did god damn you but <laughs> i so i salute you you know um <laughs> so but i was thinking maybe we feared orwell so we ended up with huxley yeah so we new world and everybody's all pilled up well, we feared a world where, where like information was like held and choked off from us, right? And the only truth was one that the state gives you, and all the stuff that's kind of like the totalitarian societies of the mid twentieth century—Nazi Germany, Soviet Russia, the like. Um, but what we kind of ended up with is where there's sort of an overabundance of information and like complete individual freedom all the time. And you could even say the happy pills and stuff. You could even liken those to Xanax or, or Ritalin or whatever else, you oh, know? Yeah. Um, so, cause like, dude, I can't tell you, I'm teaching right now. How many, it's like so many of my students are like either talking to me about how they are on Ritalin or they're, I'm going to be. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Um, I was like the first generation for that. I was on a shitload of Adderall in the fifth grade, grinding my teeth together. And then now I think back, oh shit, what did that do to me? <laughs> you know, I didn't understand what I was doing as a fucking 10, 11 year old. That, uh, and but at I, that age, you kind of don't really have a choice. No, no, you know, it's what put you on you. Do? Like run away from home and get a job when you're 10? 
Uh, yeah, dude, more <laughs> shit, more shit from that uh, capitalist realism book. More, more grim shit. Uh, so we understand that depression is a root, like basically, depression is caused by serotonin and like a serotonin imbalance in the brain, right? Mm-hmm. So that sounds like a disease of the individual. If you're depressed, it's because you have a serotonin imbalance and something's wrong with you. So what the guy asked in the book is, so why then does so many people suddenly have a, is something wrong with their serotonin? You know, ah, <laughs> that one. Yeah, I don't think it's a biological problem. It sounds like a social environmental problem. Dude, this year, like before I got the teaching job, I was pretty straight up depressed, which is why I started getting into some of this stuff. And I went and saw a clinical psychologist to see if I should get some antidepressants or something. And then I kind of, I actually brought this up to her and she was like, oh yeah. <laughs> so that's what I just, I decided not to. Uh, and to sort of just, hey, hey, look, I got a job and I found some meaning and I, was, I wasn't just sitting on my ass feeling useless as an out of work musician forever. That had a really negative impact on me for a while, you know? Yeah. It, it is really interesting how uh, how many amenities we have in this world and uh, how good we have it in so many ways. And we have more people depressed than, like, at any other time in this country. It's It's really crazy. Dude, Karl Marx wrote about it. It's not about uh, inequality. It's about I- alienation. Your life does not have any like relevance to the stuff you make most of the time. Right. That's the problem. Like you and I don't have alienation in the same way most people do because our music is individualized and personalized by us. You and I are both like sort of the, you know, some of the, the head dudes in our band and get to have a lot of the stuff we want creatively. Therefore, we are not alienated from the products of our labor. But most people, you know, you work at uh, like any store, any franchise that you see in every city in America, and what's, you know, you are completely alienated from the products of your labor, and you're kind of making someone else money all day. No shit, you're depressed. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, I think there are probably certain numbers of people out there that are completely cool with that and want to just, you know, go punch a clock somewhere and and then clock out and hang out and do the normal things that, you know, stereotypically you're supposed to do. Uh, you know, go watch TV, watch a movie, drink a beer, eat a burger, whatever. Um, I think there are people that are not, um, and I don't mean to be condescending whatsoever here, but I think there are people out there that are not like creative or artistic types of people that are completely okay with um, living the norm. And, and that's fine. We need those people, of course. But I think you're right that there are a lot of people that feel like their soul is crushed because they are creative people, but they're stuck working in these uncreative environments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why, dude, like, I often joke, because I came from, like, a middle-class family, and I often joke that do, by doing thrash metal, I bought myself a ticket to the lower class, you know? <laughs> I did, straight up. I, like, dude, I'm doing, like, I'm getting my first teaching job now at fucking 34, um, st- 33, I was 33 when I started, you know, I could have done this, like, 15 years ago. I mean, granted, I wouldn't have gone and toured Europe with, with Dave Sanchez from Hat. Ha- 
have a be honest podcast right now, but <laughs> I would I would have better financial security. You know, at the end of the day, life has to be for a living, and it, like, dude, honestly, some of my students are really like, you know, their dads are like sometimes like financiers. It's a private school, uh, you know, and these guys are like, they, they just don't understand. One of them like got into picking my head about why I made music and he just like did not understand. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Didn't understand like why you would want to make music? No, I didn't understand like why I'd keep doing it even if the money wasn't good and like why. Uh... Mm. So in Warbringer, like, I've always paid everyone the same as I got, whether they were new to the band or not, which like isn't always even great. So you know, it's like it's not like we're divvying up an empire here. It's the fucking after our many expenses. You know how it goes. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. It, a lot of money goes through the business, but like touring on a bus is like two k a day. You know. <laughs> yeah, touring is super expensive. Um, that's why whenever we try to get people out to our shows and tell them like yo go buy a t-shirt from the bands that you saw tonight it really literally does help keep us on the road because touring is extremely expensive oh not only does it keep us on the road we're banking on people buying an x amount of t-shirts or more usually or or the bottle isn't even sustainable right (laughs) yeah because you, you you have to pay for the expenses of touring and then by the end of it you hope that you have something to put in your pocket because otherwise you just didn't work for however long that tour was. You know, yeah. if someone's got a regular job and they go on tour and everyone breaks even and no one made a dime, well, that person that has a regular job just didn't make money for six weeks or whatever. I know. Hey, I mean, but dude, fortunately though, so at first when Warbringer toured, it was straight up loss. Uh, you know, we were getting. I remember our first tour. We got a we got a hundred bucks a day to play on our first tour, <laughs> times thirty or so. Um, and it was a great opportunity for where we were then. And it, but it's like and just moving clar- up out of there. Just for clarification, a hundred bucks for the entire band to split, right? Uh, well, I mean, it, none of it gets split because you're spending that much on gas. Cool. <laughs> I just yeah. want to clarify so, no. for people listening. Oh, for people listening, yeah, no, we, nobody comes home with anything, and, and you're out the cost of any food you wanted to buy, which you did because you were poor <laughs> and, and hungry, and and you'd like anyway. So, so yeah, we were really scrappy when we started. We were an incredibly scrappy outfit, and we were like, we we're a complete mess the first year or so on tour. Tour was that was hard, and thank God we moved up to where. Like, you know, I just want to be clear, like at the stage you and I are at now, some of this stuff is like, if we go out and if we're diligent about the organization, like you won't fail, you'll do okay. Or you'll at least break even. You'll be fine. You know? Right. And that was right. not and, always the case. And for that, we have to give a shout out to our fucking wonderful fans who enable us to do this art. Cause without them, we and like, and without that being sort of a certainty in our life, as we enter our thirties and fucking young middle age and all that, it becomes unsustainable. I'm only able to put out a sixth and, you know, seventh record. No reason to think it won't come out someday. Right. Uh, I'm only able to do that because of all the support I've continuously got from people who, like like thousands and thousands and thousands of fucking t-shirts basically you know yeah it, it, it's it's really amazing it, it's completely mind-blowing how uh yeah we, we're only able to do any of this because people support it if uh you know if if your band or 
my band was complete trash and we sucked really bad, we wouldn't be talking right now. <laughs> well, even one thing is like even people I know that are really good are struggling, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the best of the best are, are not playing shows this year. That's <laughs> the way it is. But I'm just saying that it's a uh, we're we're super lucky to have people yeah. dig what we do enough to spend money to buy a concert ticket, come out, buy a t-shirt, buy a hat, buy a CD, buy a record or whatever. We're we're super super lucky to have that and uh it sounds like you're very thankful for it and I am too. It's amazing. To anyone that's listening to this, if you go to concerts and buy merch from bands, on behalf of all touring bands, thank you. You you rock because rocking is possible due to you. <laughs> that's <laughs> totally true. Yeah. We're basically contractors or something. We contract our services to venues. Venues bank on people being there. If people aren't there, they don't call that contractor back. Right. That contractor is the band. <laughs> you know, It doesn't matter if your record's sick or not as far as the venue's concerned. That's absolutely true. Yeah, so, but I, I gotta say, too, for that reason as well, I always feel like I kind of owe people at the shows a bit of my time. So, if I like, I always try that, too, and uh, I really try, like, this is a thing, actually, on tour, I almost have to kind of meditate on, because you end up having the same interaction all the time on tour because you your circumstances are the same you just played a show but for the person who watched you it was totally new so that's something i've actually like straight up meditated on on tour is like i want to respond to the guy who tells me the same thing i heard like oh great joe or whatever i want to respond to that like it's the first time in my life i ever heard it because like that person came up to me to bother to say something nice and just to acknowledge that and like that deepens my appreciation of what I'm doing and makes me a little happier. Uh, and also just, I try to fucking, you know, all this stuff about kind of the soulless alienating world. I'm talking, I'm trying to affect it. Just be as human as possible to people. When I talk to people, don't, don't hide anything. Don't pretend anything, stream of consciousness, whatever, all the time to everyone. Um, and then, you know, and I just choose to live that way. I can't not. I don't know how to not. Um, and, like, every time I buy anything from anyone at retail, I always try to make them laugh if I can. That's the thing I've been doing. Hell, yeah. Making people laugh. Like, when you're on tour and, uh, you know, we go into a gas station, some truck stop, I like complimenting people if they have, like, a crazy color dyed hair or wacky shoes or something. I'll always compliment them or try to make them laugh, same as you, because... It's a very short thing for us. We're never going to see that person again, but the that might make their whole day. Right, or shit, even if it doesn't do anything at all. At least, like, what I'm really concerned with at the end of the day is being able to look at myself in the mirror and be like, I like you, dude. You don't suck that bad, you know? <laughs> sure. I mean, we got to keep yeah. ourselves entertained on the road, but also it goes right in hand-in-hand uh, hand with what you're talking about. When someone comes up to you and... uh wants to tell you, you know, great show, and you want to act like it's the first time you've heard that, that same positivity and wanting to not be a, a black cloud wherever you float around to, um, I think it's that same kind of thing. I notice when we're on tour and I go into gas stations and stuff, I try to joke and smile and have fun while I'm in there, um, obviously with it, without hurting anyone, but I need to keep myself sane and entertained and if I can, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, make somebody chuckle or 
I, I go out of my way to do that because um, same reason that you're saying, you know, it, it yeah. makes my life a little bit more uh, easy to go out of my way to make somebody else's day a little bit better. Well, and I guess where what I was thinking as you said that is this kind of attitude is really different. That's one way in which us uh, new thrashers, if you will, are uh, like kind of, you know, it's a different set of values from what we got out of like 80s rock arena legends, you know? Like Axl like, Rose? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we're kind of the stereotype of 80s rock is like you're sort of a you're sort of a traveling hedonist who uh, gets everything they want and is a dick to everyone, you know? <laughs> so, is it so like, it, it's like that wasn't an option to us because we're playing a music that by the time we're playing it isn't uh, commercially sold on that kind on the kind of scale you need for fame and glory on that scale, right? So sure. that's out. That's out. So we have to actually be nice. And, you know, <laughs> well... Yeah, that's, that's, a, a, good, that's a good that's point. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Abs- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We keep our feet on the ground. Um, you know. Yeah, if I, I'm like an asshole to someone, or even if he perceives it, I've seen it where some guys posting like from some perceived slight of ten years ago, and it's like on one hand I could be like, oh fuck that dude, I don't have time, but it's like shit, the guy felt that way. I'd prefer it if he didn't. You know, I'd prefer it if he said, I met John Keeble and that guy was really nice. I, you know, I'd prefer it if every single person said that as much as I'm able as a fucking human being, you know? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. And and I think uh, a lot of the people that run in the similar circles as you and I are very well grounded and super cool people. You know, like you were saying, we, we can't really afford to be assholes to people. But I think it's just a better way to be anyways. I never got into this to be famous and uh, it's something I still don't really seek. I don't want to be famous. I actually think that being uber famous would suck. It would suck to be like Leonardo DiCaprio or, you know, Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle or something. You couldn't go out anywhere without people recognizing you and wanting to talk to you and take pictures or just stare at you, even if they don't want to, you know, uh, yeah. interact with you. I think being super famous would suck ass. I, I never wanted to be famous. I still don't. I just wanted to play heavy metal and make people stoked and travel the world. And I've gotten to do those things and I'm super uh, gracious and appreciative that I've gotten the opportunity to do that stuff. Yeah, dude, it's fucking amazing. When, when you talk about how you wouldn't want to be super famous, I just finished uh, watching the the Crown, which I I, I like, of course. And uh, the, I'm thinking of just the private hell of Princess Diana that they portray on there. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Super incredibly famous. Everyone loves her. Home life is terrible. Throws up after she eats. Is miserable. Poor lady. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. I, I I would assume you never got in this to be famous either. <laughs> well, if so, I did a you know I didn't do that great of a job. Poor genre choices we made. If the goal was to be rich and famous and get a lot of chicks and money. So here, I'll I'll ask you first. But here's a relevant question that I, I'll ask you and then myself. All why right. thrash? Why thrash metal? Why not heavy metal, speed metal, punk, hardcore? Black Death, 
uh, post black, whatever else, metalcore, any anything, you know. I mean, Why thrash. Yeah, there's a lot of flavors that are thrown into our sound that makes oh, yeah. it sound the way that it does. That's not all under the umbrella of thrash metal. We just cook it certainly, up in our thrash metal not. cauldron. I, I don't. I consider us the same. We're we're a thrash rooted band. Yes. that is that goes a lot of places. You know, the, but the absolutely, tree, I agree. The with branch, you. the branches leave the yard. You know. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, and why this style of music, um, it's what inspired me to pick up a guitar in the first place. And it's what my skill set is kind of specialized for. And I love playing it. It's very fun to play. And, uh, it's just super fun to fucking rock out and like headbang. And when you see other people like, in a circle pit or they're head banging and banging their fist or they're smiling and high fiving their friend. Cause you know, the band just hit some rest and it was tighter than fuck dead silent. Yeah. In the room. Like, yeah. That well, shit, that <laughs> yeah. shit makes me so stoked and it's so fun. It's such a pleasure to play this kind of music live for people. It's a super huge adrenaline rush and it hasn't gotten old. So, you know, that's why, that's why thrash metal for me. But what about you? Well, I would echo what you said a hundred fucking percent. Just the, the sheer like adrenaline energy factor is second to nothing as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I, I mean, naturally I would have to love this music to play it as long as I have. Uh, I also been thinking though, like I kind of think that thrash kind of along alongside with a lot of punk uh, leading material really speaks to sort of some of the social condition I was talking about where the music is like locked in and technologically precise and everything. And the vocals like a rough, gruff human rage over that, you know? (laughs) So the way, but the riffs are like, in thrash are often very like, not to the extent of like certain death metal or very like mechanical, you know, as standard, like, you know, it's like clearly whatever, the thing that's coming out of your speakers is like sharp, probably made of like some kind of metal. I imagine different guitar thrash guitar tones as like different textures of sheets of metal. Like <laughs> some of some of them are like really scrappy and like tre- you know some of those like trebly like raw German thrash tones. Yeah, where it's like I imagine it like a tangle of razor wire, mm-hmm. and then some of the real like thick ones. I imagine just like a slab of like chung, 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 you know big slabs of steel. Yeah, you know <laughs> that's funny. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it sounds like heavy metal, don't it? <laughs> so they say. But yeah, it's uh, I think that like just I often think too, so much about how much I wrote like even long ago, kind of like resonant. Oh man, I, I was angry for a reason because I wanted to feel something out of life and I, I feel like I'm not getting it. And this music like makes me feel better about that. And that's what it feels that nothing else does. Yeah, man, it's uh, <laughs> it, it does give a very special, unique feeling. Because it's always about music, really what, go ugly ahead, shit. Oh, it's always about like really ugly, evil shit. Like, there's not a lot of happy thrash metal songs, but it's like the most fun and happy genre to listen to in practice. That's kind of, at least for me. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. That I I love thrash because it's um to me it's the like the way metal should be. It's aggressive. It's fast. It's full of adrenaline, and it's uh 
you know, like get your blood flowing. Like that's what metal used to do to me as a little kid. And that's what yeah. still does to me. It's, it's not so sluggy and downtrodden. It's like real peppy and like, yeah, 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 yeah. You get freaking amped, go to 11, you know, turn it louder, all that. Yes. I, I, dude, yeah. Sometimes I look at other people's best of metal lists and I, I listen to some of the stuff and I'm like, this is like, this is cool. Like I, I can see why people like this, but it almost feels like, like there's no lightning bolt that hits you and goes, Meta! you know, <laughs> I feel like, and, a, yeah, I know what you're saying. I feel like a lot of metal today doesn't rock. I feel like a lot of yeah. metal today has lost its rock factor. Like, you know, fist in the air, like boom, dump, dump, dump. Like yeah, just, just fuck yeah. Factor, the ACDC ish aspect yeah. of metal is like not there. I feel like that with a lot of metal today, it, it doesn't rock. It's heavy. But it doesn't rock. Or a lot of like atmospheric, washy, dissonant stuff gets a lot of praise. Yeah, and, and, and it's like there's that plenty stuff of it is cool. all good and we, fine, but that's not yeah. metal to me. Um, I like my metal to rock very hard. Yeah, and just I, I'm wondering, like, because there isn't a lot of like straight rock that's popular now, so I wonder if like metal's reacting to that in its own way. Interesting. But in, in, which, yeah. in which case, if that's the case, well, I, I defiantly disagree and we will be rocking and going you know you gotta make air guitar faces if you're not like making air guitar faces going like oh sick after a drum fill and like trying to match the whale or something when it comes in and then like your friend tells you to turn it down and you're like shut up dude they're about to do the next part where they do the thing where one of the instruments does something sick you know (laughs) and like the you know and you just want to keep that up for the whole damn record as best as you can that feeling of like just raw excitement. I think I think you said it really well when you said that. It's uh, yeah, because like that's the thing. Why I keep going back to a lot of the same records, you know, both famous and obscure, is they kind of, you know, I'm I'm entering my mid thirties. I'm a math teacher now, and I'll I'll go put on some like you know I put a, one of my favorite underrated thrash records is Soldiers of Misfortune by Sacrifice. I front to back that recently. I was like yeah, on like on every fucking track, you know. Uh, and just all the riffs, all the little stops, time changes. I remembered it all. I hadn't listened to the thing in forever. And it's like, man, it's just, I don't, I, maybe it's because I'm old and I can't be there anymore. Maybe it's because of me, not even the music. But I think, uh, like, just especially, it's associated with that feeling of, like, finding all this shit the first time and, like, nobody else you knew, or at least for me, nobody else I knew really knew it except for, these few guys that I'm starting a band with, you know? Right. And it was like, it was just, uh, so I can't get that out of other, if it's just like a thing I hear now, I almost can't get that anymore. And not, not never, but it's like tough. Yeah. I, I, I know what you mean. Um, I, I feel like the, the metal bands of today where I hear the stuff and my ears perk up and I'm like, holy shit, like this is fucking sick. It doesn't happen as often as it did when I was first discovering things. A lot of my favorite things today are still things that I discovered uh, 15 years ago. <laughs> Ditto, man. Uh, now, that's not to say there ain't some great records came out. Yeah, but. absolutely not. That's, that's not my point. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, it seems like a lot of the, the greatest things in the genre that we're talking about at the moment it seems to have... Um, I guess peaked as a whole yeah ages ago commercially at least well commercially and I think just 
quantity as well. I think there was probably way more thrash metal back in the day than there is today. Probably, yeah. And, you know, this is back in the time before Pro Tools and, like, bands were really good. To, like, record an album, the band had to be, like, tight. Even to get one of, like, the sloppier thrash records in the 80s, you still got to play pretty, like, hard. To, even to get some of the, like, messier sounds you'll hear if you go back through 80s thrash, you know? Yeah, and, you know, I, <laughs> I listen to a lot of things that are not metal. I listen to tons yeah. of music that's not metal. Um, I listen to a lot of funk, a lot of prog rock, a lot of, like, fusion jazz and classical music and shit like that what other kinds of music do you like that are outside of the metal world well most of what i've been listening to lately is uh, like i put on the metal records pretty much when i'm in an active listening mood like when i want to go and do nothing else but like oh let me go front to back this record that i have a special love for or whatever mm-hmm. yeah but around the house it's almost never metal uh we did we just got a turntable set up i got actual room in my house let me just go through what's here we got on top we got uh joni mitchell for the roses that's some pretty curly stuff right there we got the lion we got a looks like a kid's record with the lion sleeps tonight on it i got the conan the barbarian soundtrack <laughs> that's ac- that's actually my record we got Leonard Cohen, Greatest Hits here. We got, and I think we got uh, Tom Rush. We got Vader. Oh, I do have a metal record. Uh, Tchaikovsky, The Nutcracker Sweep. Uh, fairy Tale Music from Disney. Yeah, so I've been doing all the like these old turntable records that we dug out of a storage box, pretty much. Uh, a lot of traditional like Chinese music. And there's this guy, oh, who, I think he's like a... Yeah, dude, like the straight-up, harmonious, tranquil garden sound around the house, dude. Just try it. You you won't get sick of it, man. It's it's all kind of similar vibe, but like it's really harmonious and peaceful. So I do that a lot when I'm just like living around the living room doing other stuff. Sure. Uh, I think a lot of people kind of use uh, like lo-fi beats for that or something. You know, similar – it fills a similar headspace that's totally different from metal. Metal's active as fuck and in your face. Right. And – so people that like are like, I only listen to metal. I'm like, you know, I bet that makes it harder to write good metal is my thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I can speak for myself and say that Havoc sounds the way it does because we all listen to things that are not metal. There's a lot of influence from other kinds of music that are not necessarily heavy that we sneak into the band's sound. And, you know, people that listen to Havoc and like our music – they like funk and they like classic rock and they like blues and country and uh, prog rock and jazz. And some of these people like that stuff because they like Havoc, but they just don't know it. <laughs> yeah, sneaking in on them. Yeah, it's under the radar, some of the influences. Yeah, we, we, we're we secretly uh, people who don't know about the Viking Bathory records. We've been throwing in one song that does that on every record for a minute now. <laughs> yeah, the, you guys <laughs> that, have a lot of black here. metal influence, it sounds to me, on your uh, in your music in general throughout your whole career, but on uh, Especially your lately, record. yeah. 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 Well, I, I did the vocal thing, the black metal vocal thing once, which for a lot of people, it's like, that's when it clicked. Oh, that, that's black metal vocal. Okay. <laughs> you know, but it's like, 
uh, you know, the riffing from Divinity of Flesh on the last record was like closer than this, perhaps, or something, you know, uh, Crack of Doom from the first record or whatever, as a straight. But uh, I really thought that song was cool. Uh, Carlos, again, like came up with that as an instrumental. I was like, I was all fucking high and wrote this, and I don't know what we'll do with it. And I had to figure out some new approach. I didn't want to do it, was kind of structured a bit like, uh, you know, so like uh, with Cemetery Gates Fade to Black, something along those lines of like, soft heavy soft heavy with a kind of overall brooding vibe Mm -hmm. so i saw a very like but then instead of going into like thrash riffs at the end of fade to black like fade to black does it goes into something like Quarthon from bathory would have written in the viking period so i was like okay i had to come up with a theme for that so i kind of did nihilism and overcoming it in sort of two parts with the nihilism being the black metal voice i didn't want to just do it because i wanted to have an artistic and like lyrical reason that it, that the, that vocal style made sense for, and I felt that was it. So, uh, but I also don't want to ever sing clean Ian and Warbringer. It's just Warbringer is a fucking ugly motherfucker of a band. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, and I want it to be, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah I totally get that. And uh, you know, I used to have this. I still have it somewhere, but I've got this Exodus shirt, and uh, on the back it says four albums and still no ballads." Yep, sick. <laughs> that's it. Right, right. And that's why well, both of us love Exodus, you know? Well, you can always rely on them to kick your teeth in with good riffs, man. And sometimes right. you want that sometime, man. And you just there's a certain level of respect, too, for me, for anybody who is... Because, like, people know that the ballad's the one that's going to sell. It's going to catch the, the casual listener and get you into more ears and all of that. And that's why every fucking band at the end of the 80s did a ballad to the point where it was a joke. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know? And it's like if you never did that, you kind of get a different level of respect, you know? Not every Slayer record was the best Slayer record, but they didn't ever not be hard. Not if you ask Kerry King. I'm not. They're all the best. If you ask Kerry, I mean, <laughs> why, why would I ask him? He obviously doesn't know what his best work is. <laughs> all of it is. Right. See, why would you ask him? <laughs> oh, because he has the name. Who gives a fuck, right? Honestly, here's one of the biggest things I don't like about rock and metal community is some of the idolatry hero worship, right? Now, I have a lot of respect for a lot of different musicians that made anyone who I think wrote a sick tune, mm-hmm. like just gets my respect, basically. Um or played on it in a way that was excellent, and that's a lot of people. But like, dude. I'm into, you know what I'm into? I'm into the guy who recorded all the records I like. That guy don't exist anymore. He's been gone since the moment that thing was laid to tape. There's this philosopher, Heraclitus, who says this thing, uh, no man steps in the same river twice because it's not the same man and it's not the same river. Sure. Or maybe, yeah. yeah. Or same river, same man, whichever you prefer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that, nowhere is that more true than in bands. Really interesting, yeah, to apply that to uh, <laughs> musical recordings. Cause, well, because musical recordings are a product of who you were, when you were, how you were. And so, you know, why doesn't, uh, why doesn't like rich multimillionaire James Hetfield, who's been a rock star for the last 30, for like my entire lifetime, why is that guy not the same dude who wrote the critically acclaimed, artistically groundbreaking works that he did? Well, I wonder. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Geez, tough one to figure out. No, not the same guy. 
Right. Yeah, that's fascinating to apply that philosophical idea to recordings. I've never thought about it like that, but you're absolutely right. Well, because what? How? El- I can't even find any other explanation when you look at a lot of these stories in rock and metal, um, where like someone, you know, I'm not trying to pick on Metallica. They, James Hetfield's an amazingly talented guy who inspires me, you, and a ton of people, you know. And it's not like he can't fucking. It's not like his right hand sucks now no. either, you know. No, um, he's still a beast. No, so it's not even, I'm not even trying to like pick on anyone. I'm trying to talk about just what happens to people. And you know what scares me? If I'm honest, what's going to happen to me? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a thing that you can do, though, is be conscious of it. And uh, you can choose to remain sure-footed in where you were, or you can move to a new place. It's completely up to you. Um, I think a, a guy like James Hetfield has a lot of different people in his ear. You know, a guy like John Keeble or David Sanchez doesn't have so many people in in their ear telling them what to do and how they should be and what kind of music they should make and this, that, and the other thing. You know, right. that guy's had a very different life than what you or I will ever experience. Well, what I more or less think then, or where I come to in my thinking, mm-hmm. is that I can hold it off. So, so I think Warbringers put out six records, and none of them suck, and like none of them are soft. Like Empires is is a little softer, but it's still fast as fuck. You know? No, there's um, yeah, that's a killer record. So, well, it, that one's aged better. I think more people like it now than when it came out. But anyways, uh, I think that. Even if I can keep it at bay for a while, I'm thinking to myself, how many more? Because I think Woe and Weapons are our best records. Flat out. Flat out. Best. That's like for me what I wish the band sounded like from day one. But of course it couldn't have been. Sure. Uh, Got to go on the journey first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, ju- I feel like at a certain point, I won't be able to keep up the quality where it is. And for me, Warbringer is not a band that I want to ever like change per se. We kind of have, for, for me, it's about sort of reinventing and re-improving the same thing. Because I, from day one, I was like, I want to do vicious fucking thrash metal with extreme influences and tear everyone's face off at a zillion miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And so if we ever don't do that, I feel like the me that started the band will like go into the future and be like, I scorn you, you Gave up on it, you know? <laughs> so that's why I, I can't. And I'm just like, I got to be more ferocious than I was then and stuff, which is not really my inclination because I'm like a calmer dude now. So it's actually an artistic challenge for me to like keep up the anger and intensity that makes me me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally know what you mean. We're different people. We learn things and uh, hopefully grow as, as time marches on. Yeah, both you and I, like, our lyrics came a mile ahead. I, you know, go back to anything. Like, you know, our riffs and composition came a mile ahead. Uh, You've added all these new elements to your music. We've added all these, you know. uh, The records we're writing now, in my view, are a mile away from where we started. Not that we, and and honestly, I think think for both you and I, I think our early work's pretty good, too. Yeah, but I would agree with you that our later stuff is the better stuff we have more knowledge and uh just i i think more experience more knowledge like a painter that's been doing it for years they probably have a better idea of how to achieve what's in their head versus when they were just starting out 
And I'll point out to you with no small amount of smug self-satisfaction, <laughs> and you probably, you probably feel this way too, that there is a zillion people that said bands like us were a retro trend and were going to go away. Yeah, you remember I, that? Yeah, Yay. of course. My intention was to, <laughs> you know, when we started making this kind of music, it was not because it was fashionable. It came into fashion after the band had already started. I know, I know, but yet somehow, <laughs> somehow we're jumping on the trend that we helped start. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Well, and furthermore, okay, so, so, so War Without End does not reinvent the thrash genre. It does not at all, really. You know, it's, it's pretty much a collection of our influence. I describe our debut as some hybrid of American and German thrash played a little sloppy, but not too sloppy. Uh, you know, to, not too sloppy to hold up anyway. Uh, a little sloppier than I'd like. But anyways, it's like, and from there, I think Waking Onwards, it's like, oh yeah, there's something on those records that isn't on any of the old bands. And I feel like there's been a big chunk of the metal press that like won't give bands like us any fucking credit. And I, sometimes I almost feel like, it's like, do you guys like metal? <laughs> You're you're metal journalist, but you don't seem to like metal. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get it. I know what post you, mean. you know, post black gaze is cool and stuff. But what about what about you know what about metal? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I know what you're saying, and uh, sometimes I scratch my head and wonder about that stuff too. But yeah, I think both of our bands have grown into their own identities um, beyond the first record, but. Like you, it was never my intention to uh, reinvent the wheel. I just wanted to play stuff that made my adrenaline start rushing and that I lit up and started smiling and making a face like someone farted in the room when I heard it. You know, when you hear a really good <laughs> riff and you like yeah, make a stink face, you're like, fuck uh, yeah. That, that's that's, mean, yeah. that's why I... Uh, <laughs> you know, the kind of music I wanted to make. I wasn't trying to like invent a new genre. I just wanted to hear things that I wasn't hearing anyone else create at the time. And think about it. Uh -huh. when, when both of our bands started, it was not a thing. Like a lot nope. of these bands that have nope. come out of retirement in the thrash world were not putting out records. And um, nope. when I was in high school, I was the kid that taught all the other kids who Testament and Exodus and Overkill were. Like they had mm -hmm. no idea who a lot of bands were. And I was the kid that like exposed other kids to thrash bands. And, uh, you know, nowadays, like what kid that's 20 years old doesn't know who Testament or Exodus is. If they're in metal, they sure do, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it wasn't that way when, when I was in high school, that shit was all kind of like, like a relic from <laughs> ages. Yeah past you know it was all covered up I, I blew the dust off of it i guess no it, it's true though i feel the same way man it's like uh when he started it's like everything was some variant of metalcore i felt like where i lived you know yeah there was no bands doing the kinds of music that our bands wrote at the time yeah it, it's like it, dude uh you, you know, like Lamb of God was just coming out they have a lot of they have a lot of good riffs legitimately so yeah but it's like yeah, for me, I, j I just liked... Also, I kind of, when I was a young kid, I, I went through a phase where as soon as I knew enough bands to be super elitist, I was. <laughs> <laughs> you became you a know, metal I, snob? 
Oh, instantly. I'm still a snob, as you can tell, unabashedly so, because, uh, I mean, shit, I've seen enough stuff to, to know better sometimes, I, I feel like. And if someone thinks that, well, fine, whatever, <laughs> you know. And uh, <laughs> one of my favorite lines and everything is, uh, and he will die too from Power Slave. I just think that all the time, whenever anyone <laughs> says anything bad about it, oh, and he will die too. You know, great. I care a lot about your observation of me. <laughs> I will go about my business. <laughs> uh, dude, I, I kind of think what's funny and what I've been thinking is that because because we sort of entered the thrash arena, which is full of these like legendary classic records and kind of remained untouched uh, in the sort of like main realm of metal, there's some cool stuff. There's like hypnosia and stuff from the 90s that's totally worth knowing about. Uh, but it's like went untouched for a good while in the main metal discourse. And I think in part is because like a lot of stuff's considered untouchable. So I feel like when bands like us came out as like 18 year olds, that sort of the response from a lot of people was like, Oh, you're trying to do rated blood, rust and Pete's master of puppets, etc. You know, pleasure to kill any name, your favorite classic thrash records here. And uh, <laughs> those are all incredible stellar records that change music and have top tier everything on them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, what do you have to add to it? And I think that for a while, that argument's kind of convincing uh, against us. It's an argument against you and I and our art. <laughs> okay, but I think until you realize of, that that's not what we're doing. Oh, actually, though, I think at the end of the day that we kind of like. At the end of the day, it kind of is, though, because we've developed to the point where now, at least I feel, like we're putting out records that you can front to back and be like, oh, this is all sick, front to back, the musicianship is stellar, and like it just took us some fucking time. Sure, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying. I, I thought you meant that we were trying to not, not do like a rehash music. of uh, Rust in Peace or Master of Puppets or whatever. And and that's what I was saying that that's not what we're doing. So there, we no, do have no, something no. new to offer these people. Yeah, but rather to write metal that grabbed you the way those did. Yes, that's the goal. And I'm like, I feel like with at least I can say from the reactions of people that the last couple Warbringer records did did some of that to people. It gave them some of that excitement. And it's like. You know, I see some people say, oh, dude, I waited for the new record like I was a kid. I was like, yes, dude, that excitement, rad, rock, all that. It's like, I'm really excited that we can do that. And that I feel like pretty much I, I've gotten to the point, Dave, and this took me a while, where I really like my own records. <laughs> like, I feeling. mean, it's, it's kind of a given. It should be, I suppose I say that, but it really has. It's not that I thought our records were bad. It's just... I envisioned something more for them always. And it's like at a certain, after Vanquish, I was kind of like, I think that's about it, dude. And I felt that way ever since. And it's been a really great sense of satisfaction. And so I guess I think back of all the times I've been told or read that my band is derivative and has nothing new to offer. And now I sit here thinking on these and I know my 80s thrash pretty well. Uh, I can tell you, De you know, detailed notes how the where we are different from whatever you might compare us to sure uh, yeah and it's like i can stand behind it i can say dude we actually did pull it off the thing that people said we could never ever do <laughs> you know yeah that's a, we're, we're there. that's a great feeling you know it's it's one of those things like when we're in studio and we're recording 
often by the time it's all mixed and mastered and it's out, there's some stones that were left unturned because uh, it didn't get caught when you were in studio or you wish, oh man, I wish I would have sang that part different. Or oh, whatever. I know it. I know it. It yeah. always <laughs> happens. Um, but speaking for myself, I, I feel like with our last record, it was the the first time where there was the least of that going on. You know, there's always that stuff. Oh, I wish we would have done this. I wish we would have done that. But once it leaves the uh, mixing and mastering phase and it's released on the world, like it's not just ours anymore, you know? that That's other people's experience as well. And I guess that's why people get real pissed off at people like George Lucas for changing <laughs> Star Wars. Like, you ruined the movie that I loved. Right. <laughs> Something changed. Every old master (laughs) record gets remastered now, and then there's some people like the remaster, some that like the original, some remasters that are like universally reviled. I don't have time to keep up with all that, but yeah. Yeah, sometimes they sound great. I mean, I've heard remixes that are amazing, and I've heard remixes that are terrible. So I I guess it's all all subjective. It's all art, and uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Damn right, damn right. I was going to say, so one thing I wanted to tell you since you were just talking about production, I think you guys on V got the best production and sound you've ever had. It's really tight sounding, really heavy. Great sound. Yeah, Mark Lewis um, is a dude that mixed it, produced it, mastered it. He did all that stuff, and he's a... He's a beast. He's worked with a lot of really killer bands, and he's always made stuff sound great. Yeah, I thought it was really fantastic. I liked... uh, I was telling you, I, I really like uh, post truth era as a lyric, very relevant today. I had a, prof- I told you previously, but I had a professor once that was taking critical thinking somewhere back, uh, getting my degree, where I he brought that was the title of a lecture was post truth era, saying that we are in one, and this was like 2016, no, no, it was like 2014 rather. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, it's like, that's another where, like, ah, oh, you got to that one first, Sanchez. God damn you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good, though. It's good, dude. I feel like, because uh, sometimes I, I consider, like, I talk to you. I know you, the dude. But then there's you, the artist, who's, like, in my sphere. And it's like, you know, it's it's, it's a healthy thing, the way I see it. Because I think you do a lot of good work. And it's like, oh, I got to be as sharp at this as this guy, you know? And, like. So it's cool to see what you come because I, I pay close attention to what you guys write. I see you as like probably the closest band that's out there to what we're doing specifically. Uh, I would describe the sonic differences. You guys go into like tech prog and like funk and like bass groove stuff more, whereas we lean towards extreme and black metal with uh, with like the non thrash ingredients. I would say, yeah, there are there are notable like stark differences between the sounds of our bands. Yeah, yeah, in a sec- in a heartbeat. If you if you've heard more than one song, or you heard thrash metal before, you know some people have it. For sure, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean they're right. Uh, so, I also really, really liked uh, "Don't Do It" after the long buildup. You you did you know th- that needed a really killer riff. You delivered the the, the like. Fuck it, I think those are octaves on the end of the riff. That is tasty as hell. Uh, the stops in "Betrayed by Technology" got me pretty good. And oh, uh, good. Pan, the, the whole vibe of panpsychism in general was like trippy, uh, you know, heavy, groovy, trippy, and fit the theme well. And I was just like, "What a that's a good like concept song, right?" Because <laughs> I, I, I remember we were on tour and you t- and like I first was introduced to that idea. You guys were talking about. It. You're like, "Where?" We were like actually high and fucked up and stuff. And you were like, "Dude." 
consider <laughs> that consciousness is actually all there is. What if everything's alive, dude? Do they think that? That's a theory, man. And I was like, whoa, that's actually strangely plausible. That, <laughs> that might explain stuff, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, the <laughs> like first time I, I heard it, I, I was like, ah, I don't know about that. And then I stewed over it and like, holy shit, this, that might hold some water. I know that's kind of because it's my instinct to be sort of a skeptic and sure, ah, mine too. Yeah, yeah. But then I, I, I kind of when we were having the conversation, I sort of just was like, well, yeah. I was like trying to do a wait a second, and then I like stopped myself and just didn't say anything for a minute. <laughs> and then you came out with the song. I was like, oh, it's that again. Uh, yeah, it's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, trippy music for a trippy concept and trippy song. I really loved on your record the uh, the song unraveling. The way oh, yeah. that your vocals are delivered is maybe the fastest of any Warbringer song. Up there. Yeah, it's up there. <laughs> it's like Machine Gun, Tom Araya, uh, dare I say Weird Al or Eminem style. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, sick. Uh, it's I fast always thought- as fuck. Yeah, there's a couple I go for too. So Tom Mariah, obviously, you know, with like necrophobic and shit yeah. like that. Yep. You know, um, just by the way, if you want me to ruin that song for you, explain to me the feeling after shitting in the chair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it crept into my head. It, 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 I'm stupid, so it goes there every, you know, a lot of time when I hear it. I'm like, <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine you feel relieved and then ashamed. <laughs> that's probably how I'd explain it. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's a fucking great one. I love the delivery. I love just the rapid-fire barking. Yeah. Um, a lot of, like, I, I think that unless your name is Corpse Grinder Fisher, this, it, or uh, it could be tougher to do the real, like, rapid-fire barks if you're doing a more extreme style, uh, certainly with enunciation. Corpse Grinder, I actually have a lot of respect for among death metal vocalists, just for how, like, you know, his voice is. Yeah, you're you're pushing a lot of air and also having to speak clearly enough for people to understand the words, and that's something that you did in Unraveling that I thought was super cool. I could understand what the fuck you were saying, but it was, like, machine gun speed in the syllables. (laughs) <laughs> That's the trick. Loved it. And Chase Becker is on the lead shredding on this record. And his guitar parts are fucking phenomenal. His solos are really, really sick. This one, though, in particular, the first song, we were like, okay, you know, Chase Becker's just all about shredding, shred lead guitar. That's. That's his discipline. You know, he's particularly really, really into that. Whereas, for instance, like, you or I might be more inclined to think in terms of riffs when writing a song, right? Mm-hmm. You know? And so, Ch- actually, that skill of Chase and, like, how focused he is on that, we were like, dude, we got to write him into the record. Uh, Carlos and I are, like, sitting there coming up with songs. Where, so, we are like, Firepower Kills, let's do the solo, like, a minute and a half. It's like, a you know, a minute 15 for the solo in a three-and-a-half-minute song or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, we definitely were like, yeah, let's just let this dude go off. <laughs> so, so it was a conscious effort to write more parts for Chase to rip over on Weapons of Tomorrow? Uh, at least a couple songs, yes. Yeah, that's cool. Man, he's, <laughs> he's an insane guitar player. And ditto with Reese, dude. Reese oh, yeah, has a of hell course. of a style, too. And, and honestly, I think... Pete Weber is one of the best live drummers I've seen in all metal. Just the articulation and playing on that guy is really nuts, dude. That's my favorite thing that I was playing. It's just how it's like sticky and tight everything sounds when he plays it. Yeah, Pete's Pete's great. You guys have a... I mean, your whole band is sick. And uh, 
I've surrounded myself intentionally with very good musicians too. So. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, it's uh, you know we know this, but it's like I, I really recognize that, and it's like the level of live musicianship that we're both able to bring to the table. Like when we did that tour together, man, the crowd got. I, I left the stage every night knowing those people got their damn money's worth. You know. Yeah, that was a blast, man. It was really fun trading off uh, vocals too. I got to do some Warbringer. You got to do some Havoc. That was a blast, dude. Intention to see was like fun to say. I felt like that one, the the verse delivery and stuff. I was like, dude, that one fit naturally into like how I would, how I'd do something like that. It felt like when I, I remember I was on stage, I was like, dude, this. It was only like my fucking first time doing it. It felt really natural and good, man. <laughs> so I was like that, of course. Yeah, it's <laughs> right in your house. Well, I'm, I remember once I did 44 cal- caliber brain surgery, D-Hammer, uh, live with them at some festival. And that one, I love the hell out of that song. But man, that one's not natural feeling on stage because you got to remember all the fucking lyrics. Right. <laughs> Boiling my food to exhume the parasites. Diet disinfection. Water flowing through. Filters for distilling. Organisms that festing. Oxidant tanks. Breathing apparatus. Perpetuate vitality. Yeah, catchy little toe tapper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like Frank Sinatra. I uh, know, right? <laughs> oh, so, I wish, dude. I, I'm sure you heard the news um, about Alexi Leho. Didn't you guys uh, tour with Bodum before? I've never toured with Children of Bodum. Okay. But Alex, Alexi Leho, Leho is important to my high school getting into extreme metal in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Same. Yeah. Hell of a lead guitar player. Like the solos on any of those records still hold up. Yeah. up there with anybody some really catchy good songs uh it was, for me it was like a real gateway band and like it's, it's fucking sad the guy's only 41 seven years older than i am that that sucks yeah scary um yeah sorry about that i i thought that you guys had toured with bodum that was totally my bad but uh, uh we've I, toured with a lot of bands so have you you guys have toured <laughs> with a ton of killer bands yes but yeah that dude I love not just like the fact that he shredded, but his stuff was so melodic too. His yeah. solos were like, you know, singable. Exactly. Shredding on its own doesn't matter. It's like able to use that sound in a context that's actually musical, appealing. That is true shred. Yeah, and that's what that dude was amazing at. So, uh, absolutely. I'm sure you saw the news. Total bummer. Now, Chase Bryant, my bassist, texted me at 4 a.m. last night saying Alexi died, and I knew who he meant. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's the only Alexi that, uh, the only one I know. Yep. O- only one. Yeah. I, I, well, I know he was a fan, t- especially, but like, oh, man, it, it sucks. It just sucks how many people are like croaking, man. <laughs> yeah. 2020 claimed a lot of famous uh, musical names. Well, 2021 too, though the, the Lyho is uh, kicking, reeling in the the new year. No, no, I, no, I mean, no, no, no. I, I saw that he passed away last week, so he was announced today that oh, he passed in 2020. So hopefully that's the end of it for at least a while. I mean, people gonna die, but can we get a break, world? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I mean, think of all the legends that are out there that have put out amazing music throughout the ages. Like a lot of them are getting up there. It's I unfortunately, very unfortunately, yeah. I think it's gonna happen way way more frequently than we would like. I mean, you're right. I wish I could tell you. I wish I could argue against you, but you're yeah, right. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I don't like that you're right, but you are. 
uh, yeah, it's like the music we like is a generation. It's generational, dude. I mean, there was a generation or two that did heavy speed power thrash black death between a certain period. Then a lot of those bands are back now with a whole new guard of bands too. And, uh, they don't, they ain't going to live forever, man. And also extreme metal kind of the more extreme you are, the harder it is to get on stage and do it at an old age. And I wonder sometimes too, it's like, how long can I keep myself performing at the standard I want to? So I actually do like yoga fitness shit on tour. I don't drink anymore on tour, all this stuff. Cause I'm like, at the end of the day, that's all I want. It's like, I never, ever want anyone to see a version of me where they go like, ah, he, he don't have it anymore. I just never want that to cross anyone's mind ever when they see me. If I can pull that off, I'll consider it a victory. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> a good goal to shoot for, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's what I care about the most at the end of the day. Because, dude, because I've seen those people, people I was fans of, and I'm like, ah, and it just stung me, you know, in a certain way. I'm like, this was better on YouTube. Yeah, or or this is better on your record from 30 years ago that for some unreasonable reason I expect you to sound like. Yeah, when you were 25, you were way better. Uh, You were super sick. You looked better, too. (laughs) Your clothes were a little goofy, but you were cooler. Uh, 80s, you know. I'm sure people will think I look goofy this time. Actually, though, I don't know, because I always pretty much kept it like black t-shirt, black jeans. Mm-hmm. I had the moon, the the Reeboks moon boots for a good like several years, and now I'm just, I just keep it austere, man. Uh, <laughs> I, I pretty much have been doing that for a while. Like, draw <laughs> as little attention to my appearance as possible, and just listen to me yell at you. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to go for it and make sure no one's judging you based on looks, you could wear like a ski mask on stage. Oh well, then that might be a little edgy, sick, and psycho. You know, it might be psychopathic records worthy, even. <laughs> Then I could play the Gathering of the Juggalos, which might be lucrative. And and actually, Dave, are you are you in? Can we convert a Warbringer and Havoc to Juggalo groups for uh, for artistic integrity, of course, whoop, whoop. and uh, and cash in at the Gathering of the Juggalos? Whoop 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 whoop. One time we were saved on tour by Juggalos. Actually, did I ever tell you this? <laughs> no. How did you get saved? You mean like Christianity saved or? Yes, my immortal soul was saved by followers of the group Insane Clown Posse. Is quite. I believe in now. I believe in miracles. Okay, Magic no, but <laughs> yeah. dude, tell me uh, the real story. <laughs> the real story is uh, I was actually on the last Nevermore tour. Uh, you know, uh, rest oh, wow. in peace, War Dane. While we're at it, I saw him shortly before he passed in Slovenia. He's a talented guy. Tragic, um, but at any rate. We were on their last tour as a band, so that that was cool to be a part of anyway. He's got to see Jeff Loomis shred every night, Van, Van Williams on drums, all that stuff. Uh, and we had met, it, we were at the, the Palladium in Worcester, Mass, you know it. Yes. And uh, there was a bunch of tours that met, and it was like Guar was on there. Well, apparently, Twisted was playing there the next day, which is like... If you haven't heard enough ICP and you want to hear more, then you get into Twisted, I guess. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with them. Yep. Okay. So they were playing there the next day, and their fans were out there at like 9 in the morning when we were waking up drunk in the parking lot. Wow. And there had been – so I remember this day too because I was definitely drunk. And I woke up, and there was like some chick I'd never seen before in my life passed out in one of the benches in the van – and like John Locks was like on the floor, 
Um, and I was, just, and there were people saying whoop, whoop outside. So I woke up to that. And, uh, so I, I woke up, there's a guy with like a jester hat with the bells tingling and just, you know, a collection of jugglers looking, yeah. looking like they do. And, uh, I, I first had to figure out what the fuck the girl was doing there. She had been kicked. She had been doing a different band's merch from the show the night before where a couple tours kind of met. Yeah. And had gotten fired for bullshit reasons by a guy you know, but I won't I won't put on blast here. All right. Uh, and uh, had been kicked out, and, and John Locks had found her like crying on the street corner in the middle of the night after everyone had left the place. Mm-hmm. And we're still there in our van because we can't drive because <laughs> we were fucked up. Sure. And so therefore, she ends up crashing in our van. Our van though. Had, you know, she had like left the light on in the van or something. It made some fucking mistake, and oh, now the battery's no. dead. Oh, and we gotta no. get to the next place, and we gotta drive all day, of course, and all that. Uh, so, who came to the rescue? The Juggalos. They recognized. They saw us as kindred souls because we were like, "Dude, we played a show," and they're like, "Oh!" And so the jester hat guy, like, like got up almost as if on a podium and made a speech to the other one. He was like, some more brothers and sisters are stuck here. Juggalos. What are we going to do? Are we going to help them? Whoop. And they all said, whoop, whoop back. And then like, amazing. They, and they came together and jumpstarted our battery. Nice. And so, you know, jumpstarting our battery saved maybe a bit of a stretch, but, uh, the, the way he proclaimed it made it a story just cause he like, he like made a speech to the gathered juggalos and they like, as a unit, went into action to jumpstart our battery. And uh, that was just, uh, wow. Well, <laughs> okay. And appropriately, it was the dude with the jester hat that made the speech. Of course it was. He was, the, he was like the king jester or something, <laughs> you know. He, he seemed to command their authority and attention. They did change the battery after, he, you know, or like charge the battery, to, you know, bring their car around, jumper cables, the whole nine, after he asked. So, I don't know, maybe he's like, Maybe he's talked to like Violent J once or something, and that's why. Yeah, that's why he's got the podium. So he got he, he got the podium. Yeah, or once he was granted the favor of uh, of Lord Two Dope, Lord Shaggy Two Dope. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of good juggalos out there. There's a lot of uh, no plenty juggalos that are super cool people. If, when you see them, though, if you didn't know who ICP was and you just saw them, you'd be like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" Like. Who's this clown makeup person with the fucking Jinko jeans? Look, I'm not going to lie. The whole thing looks <laughs> uh, looks utterly fucking ridiculous to me, and I think the music's <laughs> terrible. That being said, if that's your thing, whatever, man. You don't need my fucking approval. <laughs> There's my, my fucking mom can't listen to my goddamn records, okay? She hates it. <laughs> she tries, but God, she hates it, you know? <laughs> and, uh, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, I, I got to deal with that. So, like, you know, okay. <laughs> well, Sir Keevil, we've been chatting it up here pretty good for a long little bit. It's been fun, man. Yeah, very fun. I, I'm super glad that we could do this and catch up in this way. I wanted to ask you if uh, you had any advice that you could give to future generations of humans. Future generations of humans? Yes. Future generations. What would you want to tell people? Uh I would say learn as much as you can about people that aren't you and across time as well as space and use that knowledge to get a better sense of where you actually stand and then use that knowledge to be a better dude or do debt. Brilliant. That's great wisdom and advice for the future generations. No, that's really good. 
On the spot, on the spot there, Sanchez. So that's the best I could do for you. <laughs> no, that, that's great. Um, yeah, learning about other people and then being able to empathize and, you know, pinpoint where you are in the social fabric, I think is a very worthy investment of someone's time. Yeah, where you are and how, how you can be a better you, you know, that stuff. And how you can be a better you to the people around you and help them be better thems. I love it. No, that's great. That's a fucking great note to end this on. All right, well, it's been wonderful, Mr. Sanchez. Keep up the thrashing or, or the waiting to thrash. Yes, and, uh, you keep up the waiting to thrash as well. And be ready to do it when the waiting's done. That's the trick. Are we, you know, gotta get, we're going to have to run some pretty heavy rehearsals to get this, this outfit back on the road. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to knock the cobwebs off like super hard. Oh, I know, man. Oh, God, this song's how fast? Fuck, why do we write it like that? <laughs> oh, why do we do this to ourselves? Why? Yeah, we'll be all right. Um, we just know, really like crossed. riffs. We just like, re- we really like cool riffs, man. That's all there is. Fast, tight, and heavy. That's all we can ask for. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. If you want to support the podcast, pick up some merch from riffsordie.com. Or go to patreon.com slash die and sign up as a Patreon subscriber. We got plenty to talk about next week. I'll talk to you all then. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.